Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Thank you for showing up uh, for another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter, and our resident Brit, Dan Crook, is not with us again because he is efforting towards completion of the much-awaited TIFO for the Texas Derby game on Sunday. So Buzz went out and got us a very, and I mean very, special guest, Mark Followell. Hello. Come in, Mark Followell. Can you hear me? Do you read me? We read you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. When uh, when you were when you were talking about Dan and you said that he is preparing for completion, I don't know why, but I, I was playing like match game in my head. You know where you complete the sentence uh, with Buzz playing the role of Gene Rayburn, of course. And uh, and for some reason, I thought you were about to say that he is in preparation to complete his master's degree. That's what uh, that's what went through my head for some for some reason. Whenever you were saying that sentence, I well, did based, not think you were going to say it was going to be a TIFO. Well, based on what I've heard, the stories uh, about the construction of this particular TIFO, it might as well be a master's degree. Wow. Okay. So uh, we'll find out more about that. And of course, uh, rounding out the trio today is uh, founder of thirddegree.net and co-editor and also from the Dallas Morning News, your hero and mine, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Calling in today from Houston, Texas, where I'm helping uh, Wilma Cabrera pack for his trip to Montreal. I think you're late because I've seen photos of him already in Montreal. Oh, he's still got his stuff up there. Yeah, the stuff's still in use. <laughs> yeah, now, <laughs> get out of the pod. Now, before Buzz e- is taking care of the pod. But before either one of us uh, or any of us get into uh, the news at hand, I do have to ask: Did anybody else, at least for a little bit, secretly wish and hope that the new Dallas area XFL team nickname was going to be the Doom? Yeah, oh, that's wow. an old school FC Dallas reference. So old school Dallas Burn reference. I had I also was hoping that's what it would be, but uh, uh, I don't know. Mark may not even know that story. There was this uh, back before they uh, announced all the teams for Major League Soccer in 1996. Some some documents circulated around with various things on it, and the one that was for Dallas was labeled Doom dot something, uh, and so that was apparently Dallas's wow. name before they became the Dallas Burn. So you almost had that as your franchise name. Well, I'm glad it worked out the way it did with Dallas Burn. Uh, well, Mark, we're delighted to have you. But before we get also get started, I did want to uh, announce that, uh, Buzz, you revealed today that you will uh, be creating some new content on a daily basis uh, that people can access by subscribing to your Patreon channel. Yeah, we're trying to uh, find a way to uh, give Patreons some uh, individual content for those that support us. We're doing the blog, this uh, blog, of course, with Dallas Morning News. We do this podcast here, uh, still for sure, for everybody to access. But we're trying to give something for the Patreons, and the idea is to be a short little mini. Uh, one or two minute daily little news hit um, for the Patreons, and any level of Patreon can uh, get access to that, and hopefully people will uh, enjoy the content. Yeah, and just to be clear, the access to that particular daily podcast will not be through the same feed that you get this podcast on. You'll have to go through the Patreon page uh, that you can find on the Third Degree Twitter account, uh, and that's how you'll access it, correct? Yes, because it's a Patreons only, you have to be able to uh, essentially enter your passwords and usernames. So uh, you can get it through most podcast services. Once you're subscribed, you can link whatever uh, Patreon account you have to get the podcast from what we use an RSS feed that's password protected. So um, 
it is a podcast you can download or you'll be able to listen to it online with clicking a button, uh, whichever route you want to go, but it's going to be for Patreons only. Uh, and and, and if, if there's people out there who have never subscribed to the Dallas Morning News, this is a chance uh, to get some uh, FC Dallas news without having to go through that route. Um, you know, And like I said, any level a supporter of Patreon can use this. We don't have any tiers or anything like that. Do you have an average amount you wish people would donate to your Patreon page? Uh, yeah, $100 a month per listener would be great. <laughs> <laughs> You're a greedy bitch. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, we're, I'm just happy to get any kind of support. You know, I, I am a freelancer in this world, and uh, times are not always great, and I put a lot of effort into this FC Dallas coverage, and hopefully people will, will like it and contribute. Uh, but we're going to do what we do to the greater extent anyway. This just hopefully is a way if people appreciate what we do they can support us and then and we can return give them something very specific for the support in this case all right shut up no more shilling let's get okay, the ask for three dollars mm-hmm. so i feel like that's a good starting point all right yeah excellent yeah okay so here we go let's get into the meat montreal three fc dallas three and the question i have for both of you and mark if you'd like to start you could should fans be more enthusiastic about overcoming a 3-0 deficit or be more bothered by the fact the team got itself into that 3-0 deficit against a really crappy Montreal team missing its best player? Great question. Um, There's obviously an argument for both sides of that, for sure. Uh, I would say in the end, though, I guess you can only control the most recent things that happened. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll relate it to Arsenal stories where sometimes at the end of the year I would see supporters online say, well, why are you guys happy they won the last game to barely qualify for Champions League? The bar should be winning trophies. But it's like, well, on the last day of the year when you're already, you know, several points out of ever winning the, the league, then, uh, you know, at that point you can't control that. So the thing, the carrot that's in front of you is to, to get whatever you can out of it. So uh, I guess probably at the end of the day I would lean towards – um, you know, the most recent thing is the thing that you can control. And the last thing that you did is what you're, you're going to take with you. And so, especially if it's a good thing, if it's a bad thing, I guess you won't take that with you, but if it's a good thing, then you'll take that with you. And, uh, you know, no matter how it arrived at the end of the day, they had to get something out of it and they got something out of it. So, so while I, I don't think you're, I, I certainly think your question has merit to it, Peter, but, but I would lean towards be happier that you got the point than frustrated that you were in that position to begin with. But I hope that Lucci's coaching message this week balanced both of those things because as the coach of the team, uh, to, to you know prepare the team for the next game and to, and to go over teaching points, it's a little easier to go over a teaching point when you got something out of it, but there are teaching points that need to be discussed in light of how they got themselves in that predicament in the first place. I'm going to go with the second half comeback part, and it's because the first two goals that FC Dallas gave up, I think they were the first two, uh, were the Matt Hedges one was definitely a fluky moment of lack of concentration, which that is very rare for Matt Hedges. I'm not worried about that in the long run. Uh, and Jesus Ferreira's uh, bad pass across uh, midfield in a terrible cross-the-center channel, terrible decision, a horrible moment. He's a young kid that learns and adapts and, and doesn't really repeat his mistakes very much. So uh, that's a massive lesson learned for him, but I don't think that's a mistake he's going to make very much anymore. So um, I don't, those are two fluky kind of goals. And for me, the bigger lesson of 
this being a parody league and you have to have energy, you have to have motivation, you have to play with an urgency if you're going to compete in this league when you're in a team of parody, when you're a team in the middle of the pack. That lesson, I think, will resonate and I hopefully the team can carry it forward when you're in a playoff chase. So the second half is more important. So uh, one of the big talking points coming out of the game was the performance by Andrezic who obviously scored his first goal for the team, uh, obviously does his thing where he has a lot of energy and uh, will occasionally uh, pick a fight with somebody, which is pretty cool. And there was lots of credit given to him in the difference between the first and second half. But the big difference for me, and this has been a common thing that I've noticed with Lucci, uh, is that the team seems to perform a lot better when Lucci allows them just to play more direct. Uh, And that was the tactical difference. It wasn't as much about Andrezic as it was that the team seemed willing just to play far more like, hey, let's just get to goal on the other side of the field. Um, and I wondered if Lucci talked about that at all this week, Buzz. Yeah, he did a little bit. Um, mostly he talked about uh, how the halftime adjustment was to, to be confident and to be strong and not to uh, let someone else dictate and control the game. As he said, don't play scared. He said, what have we got to lose? Let's go out, let's be confident and challenge people. And um when you put on a guy like Andresic, you're going to end up with a more vertical kind of game. And so the game adapted because of that. They, they, that was part of the change uh, by bringing him on was to have players that would go a little more aggressively towards the other end. Um, so that's the message they're trying to ingrain this week is that you can't go into a game and just expect that if you show up and play, you're going to be fine. You have to bring it every single time. You have to show up and play and you have to fight. And that's something that this team occasionally lacks a little love. There's no Daniel Hernandez in this locker room ready to punch somebody. You know, the, the, the closest guy they might have is at least on the field might be on off the field. He's not like that off the field. He's super nice, really cool, you know, very, very effervescent, but he at least is going to challenge people. And that, that was a positive and hopefully they'll, they'll learn from that. Mark, when you and Steve were calling the game uh, and obviously going down as much as they did as quickly uh, as they did in the first half, uh, what was really the sense that you and Steve were talking about at halftime, maybe off the air of, of what you were seeing in terms of what was not going right for Dallas before things got so much better? Well, I think, number one, we saw, like Buzz said earlier, I mean, we saw two very out-of-character mistakes, particularly the mistake that Hedges made. So that was one aspect of it that we were talking about, and probably the the predominant one that we were talking about. And I would also say that more from, not necessarily from a tactical standpoint, just a discussion of they had to get something out of the match because, uh, you know, I, I don't like to, to speak in overly dramatic terms about it, but, but I think you could make a really strong argument that uh, – You know, if you go there and lose, given their state of play at the time, six out of seven they'd lost at that that point in time, Montreal. Um, You know, I thought Steve made an excellent point in the first half of the broadcast. They seemed like they were approaching the game with the same level of urgency that FC Dallas approached the game against Minnesota the week before, knowing that that was a do-or-die moment for them, or at least arguably a do-or-die moment for them on their home field. And, And Montreal was experiencing the same way. So I think we were talking about that. And from a tactical standpoint... Um, you know, just the just the uh, the mistakes were were just absolutely costly. And, and Steve likes to say on the telecast many times that soccer is about moments, and moments don't always. I think a lot of times we associate moments with being moments of great quality and moments where you take your chances well. But moments also can be mistakes and mistakes that lead to opportunities and very good opportunities, which they did in the case of Lassie Lapalina and he buried both of them. 
Uh, you know, the thing about the playing direct, I, I don't know that we talked about that a whole lot uh, amongst ourselves, but I will go back to something that we talked about after the game, and it relates back to the Sporting Kansas City game when they won. And one of the things that FC Dallas did in that game, we thought, was adjust as the game went along against the Kansas City press and did start to play more direct. And when we talked with Lucci about it, I don't think Lucci necessarily agrees with the terminology that we as announcers and observers use play direct. But and I'm making air quotes whenever I say that right now, if that helps you with the visual. But uh, but 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 what Lucci said is, you know, we don't think that you always have to play. A to B to C. If you can play A to C and it's there, play A to C. Make sure it makes sense and make sure that there's synchronized movements that are happening. And because at level B, we happen to make the right movement and everybody else moves in synchronicity with that, then playing A to C makes sense because of what's happening at level B in terms of an, uh, of one of FC Dallas's players moving and then that starts the defense moving and it unsettles the defense. So. You know, so I think that's a little bit more of Lucci's kind of thought process on this concept of uh, of playing longer balls and playing direct. All those uh, letters are very confusing and complicated, and I don't know if I kept up with that. But I think you made a very good point. Uh, Thank you. One of the questions that I think does come out of uh, the, the draw in Montreal is, you know, suddenly this uh, new interest in Andrezic as an option at playing at number nine. And up until this point, I think... I think it's not unfair to say that he had uh, he'd been an afterthought and pretty much everybody had given up on him. But considering the lack of action between Baji and Ferreira and anybody else they've tried playing in that position, if you throw him in, who now is the player that has to come off the field? And maybe, they, maybe they're rescued by the fact that Mascara is hurt again uh, and, and, and shifting people around. Buzz, do you have any sense of how Lucci's going to solve that out? Well, you're right. The short-term answer is that uh, Santiago Mascara being hurt uh, gives you an option there um, because you could easily move Baji back to the wing and you could start uh, Snake up top if you like. Um, in the long run, uh, he's going to have to compete uh, for playing time. You know, th- Those two positions, the right wing is ingrained with M- uh, Michael Barrios uh, correctly. Um the, the nine and the left wing are the two positions of, of greatest need. They went, they went out and got Jossie and tried him to buy a left wing. They've obviously struggled to try multiple options at the nine. So those are the two spots. So, you know, whether you're talking about Baji playing both, Jesus Ferreira can probably play both. Uh, Cobra, oops, I shouldn't say that. Snake is not quite the Cobra yet, uh, is obviously mostly a nine and Jossie's mostly a wing. You know, Pepe can also do those spots. So, um, those guys are going to be the question marks going forward. And any given week, uh, who performed in training, and let's be clear, because uh, uh, Lucci was very clear that um, Andresic earned the playing time he got by the effort and the work he had done in training to rep- improve things they asked him to improve. So, you know, if you can produce during the week, if you can produce during the game, uh, you know, you're going to get more chances. And so that's going to dictate and those two spots who we see week in, week out, and it's going to change based on lots of factors, including who you're playing and what the other teams are running out. Mark Buzz, I'd like a little, I'd like, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on Andrasik, and I'd like a little table talk, so, so, so jump in at any point in time here. Um, you know, I, I feel like in discussions with Lucci this year that how they want to use a number nine in terms of their press and the style of play that Andrasik is and what he can do and what he can't do has been one of the biggest things that's held him back in terms of more consistent minutes on the pitch. Agree or disagree? 
Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, the forward press is a big part of it. And having the, uh, it's not just pace, but having the range to be able to close guys yeah. down and read it right and close them down in the right moments is super important. And that's part of why he hasn't been in right. He does fight yeah, and, and he does press. Thing, it's timing. Yeah. 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 And I think the other thing too, Buzz, and before I get to my big picture thoughts on Andrasik, but one of the things is I think when you're a guy like Andrasik, uh, and you have had, you get eight minutes to play or 11 minutes to play. He just seems to me like he's one of those players. And look, there are certainly players you can come in and in a very limited burst be effective. In my humble opinion, I don't think Andrasik is a limited burst player, that his game is not come out and, and in the dying moments of a match, this guy is going to go get my equalizer or go help me chase the game. Uh, I think he needs to be out there, and that's why I, I like the fact they made the decision to make the sub at the start of the second half on Saturday night because it just gave the guy a chance to be out there and not thrust in, hey, go on in the 83rd minute and do something for us. Agree or disagree with that aspect of it? Yeah, I think that he's a uh, wear-you-out kind of guy. Like Playing yeah. against him is like 45 minutes, 90 minutes. You're like, I'm so sick of this guy. <laughs> and that's going to get to you as an opponent, you know, and that's where he's going to make his bones. I agree he, because he lacks an over the top component. Uh, he's not going to come in and like within two minutes, get you something, change the game. He needs a time to grind it uh, to be fair to him. So uh, I think that's on point. And I think that's part of why they've found that he's not the greatest late game steal a, steal a goal kind of sub and why you've even seen somebody like Brian Reynolds use in that capacity because he at least brings that sprinter over the top sort of ability uh, you know and Baji does that too if Baji comes off the bench so that's uh, uh, a fair point I think you make on uh, Snake's behalf. Peter I've got I've got more things I want to say about Andrasic but, but oh, what I do, do you too. think about my, my thoughts on, on those two those two uh, particular comments? I, I think uh, well here here's the reality uh, in the 45 minutes he played he had essentially four good touches there's an all touch video out there of his 45 minutes it's nine minutes long and it's filled with passing errors unforced turnovers um, inability to win an aerial ball under pressure um, and that's about it I, I think the guy is not an MLS quality striker I've thought it since they signed him um, I love his energy I love that he's great in social media videos and I love that he likes to pick a fight with people, but he's not the solve for the number nine for this team and never has been and will never be. He's just not good enough. You are absolutely right, Mark. That is, there are those kind of guys that need more time to be out on the field to find their game and do their thing. The problem is in the modern game, that type of guy actually ends up hurting a team because they need somebody that need that understands how to press uh, in, in, in the form of a team, as Buzz was talking about, the timing of pressing, and also needs to be able just to simply to pass the damn ball accurately and not turn it over. Um, and I think that's the real holdback with, uh, with Andrezic is maybe eventually he'd find his scoring form. Maybe he won't. But so many other aspects of his game are not up to snuff. I just don't think he's the guy. Um, although uh, nobody else so far has played very well in that position, so maybe they're just going to give him a run out for a while. Well, you know, I, I think you're probably wanting to, to get to the idea of do we think that he should be on the field this week? And to be honest with you, and, and look, I, I'm not going to, to, to debate that you make a lot of good points. Um, you know, uh, there are certainly weaknesses to his game. I do wonder how he scored 11 goals in Poland uh, in a half season before he got here and knowing, and I think you, you guys may have even heard me say this on the telecast, 
the golden boot winner of that league before he came to MLS was Nemanja Nikolic. And then Nikolic came here and won a golden boot in his first season with Chicago with 24 goals. So I do think there's at least, and maybe this is an error in judgment on my part, I do think there's at least uh, a track record of one guy coming from that league and being very good and then coming here and having success. And, of course, they're, they're certainly different players, but, uh, you know, that's not a bum league over there, uh, the Polish Ekstraklasa. And the team that he plays for is a pretty quality side, Legia Warsaw. So, uh, and, and you know, know what, Mark? To his credit, the the fans... oh, sorry, it's Vizla Krakow. I said Legia Warsaw. I'm sorry, Vizla Krakow is who he plays. For. Legia Warsaw, I believe, is who Nikolic played for. Uh, so. No, and to your credit, and to his credit, Mark, he, whatever he was doing over in Poland was so kick ass. They still love him to this day. Uh, yes, they do. Know, people buzz post pictures on Twitter all the time of them putting things on their video board in games that he hasn't been there for months, and they're still mm-hmm. talking about him. So I, I I don't know why he was so much better over there than he is over here, um, but I, I I'm just not convinced. I've seen anything out of the guy yet that he is uh, the solution at the position. Well, Buzz and Peter, one thing that that has been with me for about a month now is. If you'll go back to the 0-0 draw with Real Salt Lake, that particular night, FC Dallas had some shots. They had a lot of crosses that got into the box that night. And one of the things that uh, Lucci said to us in our post-game interview, and I believe that he said it whenever he was speaking to the media and the press conference setting afterwards, was we had a lot of crosses, we got a lot of balls into the box, but then the number of crosses compared to the number of shots, and particularly the number of shots on goal, doesn't correspond very well. And that, to me, is a lack of conviction in the box. And then they go the next week and they go to Orlando, a team who has vastly improved defensively this year uh, compared to the worst team in MLS history from a, from a goal surrendered last season. You know, they're vastly improved this year, but they didn't, they didn't score in that game. And to be perfectly honest with you, they didn't, uh, they didn't have a whole lot of great chances in that game either. Um, you know, obviously they did break out and, and perform very, very well against Minnesota. And they went, they went right back out on the road against the LA Galaxy and had another game where they had two good chances. Mosqueda off the crossbar and a late arriving run by Jesus Ferreira that was just wide early in the second half. And it's just when I hear Lucci use the word like he did against RSL after the game, we lack conviction. Um, and then I look at multiple times of clean sheets being kept against you uh, in the span of, of five or six weeks. Uh, to me, it's like doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I mean, we always say that's the definition of insanity in the world. And, you know, I felt like it had to be shaken up, and I hear the word conviction, and that's the one thing that I look at with Zdenek and Drosik, and I see conviction and the willingness to, as we've said many times in this conversation, fight for the team. So, so I like the idea of him starting. Uh, I understand his warts and his drawbacks, but at this point in time, uh, I look at the landscape of the roster and how they played and how it's looked and the kind of chances that they create. And, and, and you know, as, uh, as a side issue to this as well, this puts Baji on the left wing, and this is another discussion point. I think that the best he's looked this year, and I know that he was a number nine in Colorado, but to be honest with you guys, I think he looks better as a left wing than he has as a number nine here anyway. And I think that he's played better as a left wing and gives you, while maybe not the moment, uh, you know, Santiago Mosqueda has these moments of like, whoa, but then it's like as Steve says, he creates the almost chance. It's like for a split second, it looks like, oh, my God, this could be really good. And then it never comes off. And so I think from a consistency standpoint and a two-way standpoint, Baji's going to give you more than Mosquera is on the left wing, which then puts Cobra as, or Zdenek Andrasik. I know you guys aren't calling him Cobra. But it <laughs> puts Andrasik as your number nine. We'll give you a free pass. You don't have to put, uh, you know, you don't have to put and, a dollar and, in the jar. And, and it also <laughs> opens up, you know, I, I think one thing that Ferreira does well, especially if you're going to play him in this hybrid 8-10 role, 
is that I do think he's good with little one twos and, and layoffs around the box. And, you know, he gets a layoff. He can t- I think he's very good at taking one touch to open up his hips and put himself in a good shooting opportunity. So I, I think giving this a run out for more than a half of a game, I, I think really behooves FC Dallas. And by no means do I think that uh, this is the perfect solution and that, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, Let's see what happens with it, and I may be totally wrong on it. But to me, it's like this is what I think they have to do right now, and I think the the second half of what happened in Montreal is is you know really strong evidence in that regard that this deserves uh, further testing in the laboratory of on the fields to see where it could go. Okay, but you will uh, at least agree with me that the fact that we are now uh, th- uh, what at twenty seven games into the season. Let me re- let me rephrase the question. The fact that you're starting him for the first time, 27 games or 28 well, games into the se- whatever yeah, game second. into the season, yeah. um, is it, does that say more about his qualities or more about the state of the season? Um, desperate times call for desperate measures. That's Fair what enough. it says. Fair enough. Yeah, Fair yeah. Enough. And I think the season's in a desperate place, and so I, I think to. To answer your question, that's what it tells me. And I, I would go back to my earlier point with Buzz. I, I, I think that, you know, to be perfectly honest with you about it, um, you know, I, I don't know that he has been put in the best position to succeed. And I certainly understand that, you know, they, you know, Lucci's forgotten more than I'll know about it. And he evaluates him based on these bigger picture things. And I'm seeing it from a very narrow perspective of the guy came in and was instrumental one night in getting a historic comeback and a point on the road. And, He's judging from a wealth more information than what I'm judging the case from. But I, I, I do think that, you know, the, the the eight minutes here, 11 minutes here formula with Andrasik wasn't getting the best out of him. And so putting him in this particular position that we're suggesting of playing him longer, and obviously you're going to do that if you're going to start him, I think at least theoretically gives you a chance to maximize what he could give you. And maybe some time on the field, by the way, uh, you know, eliminates some of those mistakes that you were that you were discussing earlier, Peter. Maybe there's a you know the more he plays, then there's a little bit more crispness and sharpness and uh, accuracy, if you will, to his passes and his layoffs and his ability to hold up the ball and such. From your mouth to Snake's ears, Buzz. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if you have any thoughts about the state of the midfield at this point. Are you are you feeling like? Uh, Jesus is the lock now at that position next to Paxton, and and Brian Acosta uh, will forever be uh, slotted as the single holding uh, holding mid on this team. Forever, no, but um, for the short term and probably for the rest of this season, yes. Uh, he's he's done a uh, Brian Acosta as the holding mid has done a pretty nice job. He's gotten a little more disciplined. We haven't seen him wander about, and maybe that's because he's by himself now in that position. Um, I did talk to Lucci a little bit about uh, the forcing of the long balls that wasn't so great in the last couple of games, but um, that's something they're working with him on. You know, keep it simple, keep it moving, get it to the right people, get it going forward. And he still can occasionally make the run forwards that we like to see out of him. Um, Paxton's in the place, a rough place for himself right now. He did look quite good on Wednesday. He looked really bright, really active. I liked that. That was a big step back forward. But he's in a place where he's running into a minutes log that he's never done anything like this before in his career in terms of how much he's playing. And people are double teaming him and focusing on him. So he's in a tough spot. Uh, but difficulties are how players progress. This is where uh, we assume, we, we think very highly of Paxson as a player, that he's going to make a progression, that he's going to get back into the game. And based on what I saw in training, I feel really good about how he's feeling health-wise and how sharp he looks. 
And uh, for now, Jesus Ferrer is definitely the guy at the other spot. Um, Lucci raves about uh, the connectivity that he offers, which is, uh, you know, checking back and playing, breaking in between the lines and making a little connecting passes. And one of his particularly good skills is how quickly he can receive a ball and turn and go and then make a pass or make a little dribble. Um, he's not spectacular at like a one-on-one go by a guy like Barrios does with pace or like Paxson does with the ball. But um, as Mark mentioned, he does uh, play pretty good one-two combinations. And um, when he instinctively pulls the trigger, I like that aspect too. So I think uh, for now, I think it's pretty clear that those three guys are going to be your guys until something changes, till they're either eliminated and then you might see some young guys or somebody gets hurt or somebody gets too many yellow cards. That triangle is going to be what Lucci's going to ride until the end of the season. Yeah. Well, and, the yellow card thing's going to happen, by the way, because, I mean, Acosta's already another – he's back yeah. in one yellow card of a suspension. So I think uh, I think it's reasonably safe to assume that's probably going to happen in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, any any particular thoughts from either one of you about this uh, odd little uh, spat of him uh, blowing balls? He's, he seems to have picked up to uh, pick the Carlos Grezo bug up and in, in, uh, overshooting and putting balls into the stands. That uh, Some of that high accuracy that we've seen from him early seems to have uh, escaped him in the last part Well, of the and my, my concern with that, Peter, and I'd love to hear what you think about this as well, Buzz, is, look, it's okay, and, and Steve brought this up on the telecast the other night, that's a little bit better or a little bit more uh, tolerable when you're playing as a number eight because there's cover back there. But when you're the six, you are the cover. And so when those shots produce a rebound, uh, a block, and a ball that comes caroming out with great pace, then, I mean, that's that's potential counterattacks for the other field. And you're pushed up in an advanced position and you're not able to get back and defend. So... Uh, you know, beyond the the wastefulness of the chance, it also potentially puts you in a compromised position when it comes to defending. So, uh, you know, that that's going to have to be something that's done much, much more judiciously, especially, uh, you know, uh, given the fact that if the shot isn't blocked and leads to a rebound, which potentially puts you in a disadvantageous position for being counterattacked, then the shot is, you know, a country mile over the top and ending up in a row Z. So, uh, you know, that doesn't do you any, any good either, I guess. So Yeah, it's so part I, so, of his... So, go, go ahead, ahead Mark. No, 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 go ahead. No, and I was, I was at the end of my thought. I want to hear what you think. Uh, it's part of his instincts to shoot from range. Acosta, it's sort of built into his game. Um, when, you're at, when you're at eight, uh, that shot's happening at the top of the box or maybe right inside the circle. Uh, yeah. Those are, those are higher percentage shots. When you're a six, that shot is happening... 40, 35 yards out. It's another good 10 or 15 yards past the top of the circle. So um, those are poor decisions when you're playing as the six, as Mark says, it exposes you, but also the percentage shot from there is very low. Um, so it gets back to something that I'm sure Mark and Peter, you'll have heard this too. Uh, and in many other sports, any of us are involved with is uh, do your job and trust your teammates, do what you're supposed to do, which in the cost case is to control the play, uh, con- control the pace, um, win the balls quickly, get them forward to teammates in better positions. Uh, and right now he's trying to do too much. He's trying to force those long passes and bypass uh, the rest of the midfield. He's trying to shoot from 40 yards out. So those, those are things that he's going to have to learn to adapt his instincts over, uh, to effectively what's a new position for him in this system. And the more he plays at, at that position, the less you'll see that kind of thing. And the more, hopefully, he'll learn to trust his teammates and play in a more economical, more uh, more value-the-ball kind of method, which we know Lucci is huge on that. So um, I, I think it'll come. 
Yeah, I'm just a little worried that most of that stuff looks like he's just tr- he's trying to force something, and he and and because he has sure. traditionally been so good at that distance uh, shooting from distance, uh, I I worry that maybe he's starting to feel a little weight of responsibility for trying to help uh, the team uh, convert goals. The the other question that I thought was interesting um, from the game in Montreal was the start by Brian Reynolds. Uh, obviously, he was the one that was sacrificed for Andrezic. Uh, but Lucci had some interesting comments in that he seemed to be very supportive of the young guy. Yeah, he reemphasized that on Wednesday. Um, he said it post game, and he he made sure and said it again so that we all, all the assembled media, got it. Is it said that he thought Reynolds' performance was good, um, that he really liked what he was doing, you know, and it wasn't lifted for anything he specifically did. Now, part of that, of course, is uh, Brian's nature and where he's been training is as an outside back. He's at his best when he has the field arrayed before him and he can run at people. And so they were hoping that he would do a little more running at the defense. But that's a mild criticism when you're talking about an 18-year-old kid who's making his first start ever. And that's not why he was lifted. He was lifted to change, uh, to bring in Andresic and change the mentality and change the tactic and have Aji on the wing and try and get a little more verticality and a little higher up the field because Reynolds does play so deep and wants to run at people. He wants to come from way back. So uh, it's not a criticism of Brian. Brian's got a big future that's going to come down the line when someday maybe when Reggie is sold or when things, you know... his his future's not now. It was a solid outing, but and you know he, the kid shouldn't feel bad about himself for getting lifted. That was a situational uh, necessity based on the fact they were down three goals and had to do something crazy to try and get back in it. Yeah, I, Mark, I don't remember who you and Steve uh, called for man of the match. I know Buzz gave it to uh, Dresic. I thought the clear man of the match was Ryan Hollingshead, uh, and and I wondered who you and Steve ended up uh, calling that day. Um, I think we went with. So much happened the other night, but I think we went with Ryan Hollingshead as well. I believe I believe that that's who we went with. And interesting that you bring him up in this discussion of Brian Reynolds. And, you know, look, I thought Brian was all right the other night. It was his first start on the road uh, in a position that he hasn't been playing as much this year. As, as Buzz rightly said, you know, he's been, he's been looked at a lot as an outside back this year. Um, you know, we have, and I think there's a lot to be said for a player who's versatile. Uh, as you guys both know, uh, there have been times in the past I've referred to Hollingshead as the team Swiss Army knife. And I think it's great that he can play multiple positions and do a lot of different things. I don't think it's a coincidence, though, that in a year where he has been given one specific position on the field, primarily, I mean, he, he did have to, in a pinch, play center back and right back a couple of times this year. But by and large part, Ryan Hollingshead has been this team's starting left back for 85 to 90% of the season this year. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence that he's having by far his best year. Um, you know, look, we said many times when Tesho was here, Tesho was so damn nice and so willing to do whatever the team needed him to do that he played as a left winger and he played as a nine and he played as a second striker and he did a, and he played, you know, in, in all of these different positions and never really got to concentrate on one thing and be his best at it. And I think that's what's happened with Ryan Hollingshead this year. And I see this, this versatility that Reynolds has, and that's a nice tool to have. But to be the best player that you can be, I think that zeroing in on one thing is ultimately what you have to do. And I'll take even my own, and maybe this is a dumb analogy, but I had a boss, and, and Peter, I believe you know this particular person who used to work at the ticket and was a boss a long, long time ago, uh, 20 years back now. And, and I said, uh, well, isn't it, isn't it great that I can uh, do a sports update and, uh, you know, 
uh, host a show during the week or host a pre or post game show for the diamond talk or whatever, you know, and he said, well, that's great, but you know, you've got to focus on the one thing that you really think you're best at and you want to do. And, and obviously he knew that was play by play at that point in time. And so versatility is a nice thing to have in the world. But I think if you're going to want to maximize whatever it is that you do in life in your career, zeroing in on one thing and doing it to the best of your ability and really focusing on that, on that, I think I've learned through personal experience and observation is the thing to do. And there are great utility players in all sports out there, and somebody's got to do that, and you can make a darn good living at that. But but as it relates to this discussion of Reynolds, as it relates to Hollingshead, uh, our old buddy Tesho, who's having the best year of his career, playing strictly as a number nine, playing as a down-the-middle forward, by, by a large part anyway, uh, in Orlando, you know, I, I think there is something to be said for 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 that approach with players. One, well, Mark, yes or, no, uh, yes or no? Yeah. Uh, well, one, I was convinced uh, your greatest uh, skill set was square dancing. Uh, play by play yeah. is second, but uh, kudos to you. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, Go grab your partner. Does he do? Uh, and two. <laughs> Uh, I just continue to admire Ryan for his perseverance. You know, one of the hardest things to do in this sport, and it happens a lot, uh, the great Bobby Ryan was in the similar situation, is uh, converting attacking players into defenders, specifically fullbacks. And, and, and it's always that, there's that weird joke that you tend to hide people uh, at the fullback position, but I, I just don't always think everybody really fully appreciates the difficulty of that position especially if you've never played it and now suddenly you're at the uh, you're at the uh, uh, professional end of your career and now having to pick up that skill set of understanding how to position yourself and and hold a line for offside and all the other things that come along with that and we've certainly seen the double-edged sword of Ryan trying to learn that position just like we used to back in the Bobby Ryan days um, but man I'll be darned if he really hasn't uh, made some some real strides this season defensively in particular um uh and uh, he's just you know every mls team needs one of those guys not the big dollar guy not the entry level dollar guy they need uh the foundational guy to do a lot of that heavy lifting and and uh, if any if dallas has any one real good thing going for it it's ryan's it's ryan hollingshead and and uh i thought on that particular night he really uh shone through and i that's why i thought he deserved man of the match uh, well, he's he's a guy whose instincts for defense uh, were are not right. You know, when we started the season, they were way off, and as he's played into the position, he's become better and better and better. And he still makes a mistake or two a game, but um, he overcompensates for that, of course, because his ability with the ball, which in Lucci ball is significant. You know, you need a player that can run the majority of the field, that can get forward and can pass and can shoot out of those positions, and that's why you you convert offensive players to outside back in a modern game. Um, you know, Reggie has the verticality on the right and needs to work on his move inside to be able to shoot and pass inside. He has the end to end part. Ryan's the other way. Ryan comes underneath. He has the shooting he has the passing. He, he can use a little more of the verticality in the crossing part, but that's not super important. Uh, but his defense has become significantly better. And it's the same reason why you see uh, Brian Reynolds converted to that spot, the ability to run the length of the field. He has the offensive skills uh, of an offensive wing player, and you can convert that to the modern game and coming out of the back. So it's, it's a case where uh, you don't have the defensive first sort of 
um, not stagnant, but um, uh, non-rangey kind of stay-at-home sort of defenders. This is why Marquinhos Pedroso was traded. He didn't fit this new system. So Ryan, uh, being an offensive first mentality, has excelled. And Lucci even talks about he wants both outside backs to go at the same time. You know, it's not one or the other. It's go. Everyone's going. So uh, when that when FC Dallas is on and those guys are getting forward and they become the extra attackers and they overload the zones, or when those eights overload the zones, that's when they're at their best. And Hollingshead is a big, huge part of that, and Reggie is too on the other side. That's right. a special moment, man, when you get outside backs to do that. I don't know if you guys remember the – the Haiti Costa Rica game and the Gold Cup, that was the, the last game of that particular group. And Warren and I did that game. And that's one of my favorite goals I've ever seen because Haiti, who never won a group in the Gold Cup, wins their group because in the 81st minute of the game against Costa freaking Rica, who's a four time World Cup participant in the last five World Cup cycles, uh, you know, and obviously getting towards the end of their golden generation. But but at the at the 81st minute of the game, Costa, uh, Haiti scores a game-winning goal because their left-back overlapped, got a ball, took it to the byline, crossed, and a run arrives at the back post from the right back who scores the goal. I mean, that's that's a thing of beauty, man, when you can get the two outside backs to push up and it works. And uh, we talked to the, the Haiti coach after the fact, and he said, that's probably not something I would encourage to do very often, to have uh, my two outside backs that far up the field, but... Uh, in that particular case, it worked out. And and to Buzz's point about about defense with Ryan and, and his instincts, don't you guys agree, though, that the one thing you can say, and I certainly wouldn't argue the point about the instincts, but the thing about Hollingshead that I've always liked is you know you're going to get an honest performance defensively. Now, does that mean that he's not going to that he's going to be mistake free? Of course not, and there might be mistakes born out of instincts. But I do think that he's always the, the effort. The desire, the the honest, hardworking mentality about it is always going to be there when it comes to, to trying to do the right things and the responsible things defensively, yes or no? Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, for sure. That, I mean, that's – I'm not questioning Ryan's in yeah. effort and mentality. It's just a question of – uh, you know, the, the positioning might be slightly off or the read of the sure. play. It's going to go this way instead of that way is slightly off. And so much of that comes with time and experience. Mm-hmm. You know, you just got to play into it. Um, you know, if you want to talk. Uh, Maybe that's what I'm hoping is going to happen with, Co- with uh, Andrasik. This week. Yeah, it's going to play into a little bit more sharpness. Yeah, yeah, and if you want to talk, you know, that this sort of mentality of playing into things, one of the reasons why they've sent away Emma to Amasi was because they're working on him in the same capacity as an outside yeah. back, and they 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 suggested to the awesome bold, hey, we want to use him this way. Would you guys be interested? And they've taken him and they're starting him as an outside back, and he had one of those end to end goals where he ran the whole length of the field just this last weekend and scored, following off. They had a corner kick by the other team, and they and he ran in support ninety yards and scored. So you know it's um, that kind of mentality, that kind of belief in yourself, and your willingness to work and put in the effort. Because Ryan has worked really hard to get better at his defense. There's no question, uh, and it's going in the right direction. You know, it, it's a little late in the career, so we don't know how long it's going to last. But um, he's definitely made the same conversion Bobby Ryan did, and so far so good for FC Dallas. <laughs> but but earlier I brought up the idea, and, and you guys didn't offer a lot of feedback. I think we just got you know, onto other things, but the idea that Baji is the left wing for this team for a lot of minutes in the remainder of the season moving forward. Um, Left wing to me has been the most disappointing position on the field this year because of the number of different people that have been tried there, the lack of consistent performance of those who have been there, the uh, up and down nature of it. 
Um, you know, you know, it's one thing to start different players because of injuries and call-ups and yellow card suspensions, as you can point to in other places on the field. But let's face it, for a lot of reasons, and a lot of them not good reasons because of inconsistency of the players performing there, left wing has been a revolving door this year. And and I thought the best Bajis looked and the best the team has had in terms of left-wing performances when he played there this year. So I think another reason why I'm on board with this whole Andrasic play as the number nine thing is because the de- the default thing, especially this week with Mosqueda hurt to begin with, is it puts Baggio on the left wing. Um, you know, do you guys like that? Do you think that I'm, you know, am I high by thinking that? What do you What do you guys think <laughs> on that? Front? Well, the person that agreed with you was Oscar Perea. When I he first got Baggi, he and I talked. Uh, at length about how uh, he felt in the short run that Baji would be a nine, but he said in the long run, he's going to be a winger. That's where mm-hmm. he's going to be for this club. And I would agree with you that I think Baji plays better as a nine for the same reason um, that, that Ryan Hollingshead actually does well on that wing playing further back is because um, Baji's instincts are wrong for when his runs into the box happen as a nine. He doesn't um, make the right angles and he doesn't have the right timing. So if you put him further back out on the wing, he has the pace and the ability both to get down the wing and cross and to cut in on an angle and shoot sort of from the top of the box kind of range. Um, and, and he is better in that position. I agree completely. Um, and that's an added bonus. And the fact that no one has, you know, the fact that went out and spent some money in that position, I'll tell you something, even though that has not worked out. Uh, there definitely is a wide open spot on that left wing, and he certainly could fill it. The problem is, is so far they haven't had anybody do the nine either. So if they can get, if if Andresa can do anything in there at all, then Baji might get a real run at left wing, or else you're gonna uh, go to the next option, which I suppose will be Pepe at the nine. Uh, which maybe maybe we're not quite ready for that yet, but let's uh, you know keep that in the back of our minds as that might be what's next. He did have a really good defensive moment late in the game. The he he did. Uh, Pepe or Baji? Peppy, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I actually talked to Lucci about that this week because I, I, when I watched the game, I thought, boy, you had him playing two positions, and he said yes. They, they asked him defensively because he came in for Jesus. I think is who it came in for. He was playing kind of as an eight defensively. He had to compress and do the midfield work, but he also asked him to make that twenty-yard run every time they got the ball to play as a second striker next to Andresic. So that's a big ask for a sixteen-year-old yeah. kid, and he performed admirably in both aspects of the play for the short time that he was in there. All right, so it's all moving towards the big game on Sunday. Uh, FC Dallas is touting this as this one is personal. It is the Texas Derby. The Houston Dynamo are rolling into town, um, and they need wins just as badly as Dallas does. Uh, The one weird X factor is Wilmer Cabrera was fired since the last time they played a game, and now Davey Arno is the coach. And Dallas now has to face a team with that classic uh, situation of, uh uh-oh, We've got a new coach, uh, the new coach bump, as they call it. Um, Buzz, any particular lineup adjustments that you're anticipating for Sunday afternoon's game? Yeah, I think uh, I think Mark is correct about Andresic getting the start, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give both my reason why and and why I, uh, why I think it's good and why I think Lucci's doing it. The first is that, uh, in a, and I've mentioned this a little bit earlier in the podcast, in a competitive league and a parity league, uh, you need a little extra something you need some juice you need some fight you need to show up and bring it he did that 
that was why I made him the man of the match, not for his play, for the fact that he came into the game and he changed the mentality of the team and mentality. And I talked to Lucci about this week and he said, it's the Lucci actually said, it's the most important aspect from here out the rest of the season is this team's mentality because when their mind is right and their attitude is right and they're, and they're overloading and they're getting those extra players in there, that's when they're at their best. And that's when they play some pretty good soccer. So you're going against your rival. You need somebody that's going to step up and, and knock somebody down. It's going to get in somebody's face like Cobra did at the end of the game. Oops, Snake did at the end of the game. So I think for all those reasons, I think Lucci's going to start Andresic at the nine, and I think he's correct to do it. Just, And I don't mean that he's the answer for the year. I mean for this game, you know, because when you ask a guy to come in and change his mentality, and he does, and you ask a guy to play a nine and he scores – and you ask a guy to get shots on goal, and he has three shots, and all three of them run goal. Now, granted, the header could have been better, and the and the the, the quick shot I did he did take I really liked, although the keeper saved it. It was a really nice shot. So, and then you add in the component of Baji on the wing because you can't start Jossie. He's not doing anything that makes you think he's going to be good enough. And Mascara's out, and Ferreira is entrenched in the midfield. So. You're gonna you're gonna have your basic back four in the same. Those three, three midfield triangles the same, and you're gonna see Andresic and Baji on the left wing, and Andresic is the nine, and that's how you're gonna roll out, and you're gonna battle your arch rival for a game that matters for both these teams. The team that loses this game is essentially out of the playoffs, as near as I could tell. You got to win this next two home games for FC Dallas, and that's why you're gonna see Andresic start. What's your big talking point for this uh, upcoming game Sunday night, Mark? Well, I agree with everything Buzz just said, number one. I mean, I, I think that's just uh, an outstanding tactical analysis. Uh, the talking point, though, is that, uh, you know, this is two teams in a very, very similar boat. Um, you know, it's, your, it's, it's rivals. It's desperation because Buzz is exactly right. Uh, the loser of the game can, can kiss bye-bye to the playoffs. Uh, Houston still has a lot of work to do, even if they do earn three points out of it. But, but you know, forget about it if they don't. And you also have uh, the, the aspect of two teams both dug in and fought last week. Uh, the managerial change happened with, with Houston. It did not for the first 45 minutes against Colorado produce the new manager bump. It did in the second 45 minutes. And Marl Bonotas, of course, had a little bit to do with that. Uh, scoring two goals in the second half. And, and FC Dallas just uh, had a 3-0 a to 3-3 comeback so so you have uh, some striking similarities between the two teams in terms of what they just experienced this past match day and what uh, what's out in front of them and then there's the rivalry aspect of it as well and um you know one other thing i you know one thing that that uh you know we're going to talk on the fox broadcast from a houston standpoint is i think minotis is a is a very very underrated player uh he is in the top five in the league although he went from from four to being tied for fifth based on Carlos Vela last night. But in goal scored in, in MLS since the start of 2017, Joseph Martinez is running away with that with 71. Uh, Nemanja Nikolic has 50. Zlatan has 42 in two seasons. Minotas has 40, and Vela has 40 in two seasons. So, you know, those are your top five goal scorers in the league in the last three years. So there's some star power in this game with Minotas. And there's been times when I thought that uh, Albert Talese, by the way, would, would provide some star power. And, uh, you know, he consistently has not done that. There have been certainly moments of brilliance. But he's coming into this particular game on a six-appearance stretch since he scored a goal. Uh, he had a two-goal, one-assist game against New York Red Bulls on July 3rd. 
If you guys remember, he got sent off very early against Atlanta United shortly after that when Atlanta United throttled them 5-0. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, he got sent off in the sixth minute of the game, I believe. Um, you know, so so he hasn't been uh, between suspension after that and and whatnot. He just hasn't been a very good player after that. So is he uh, is he ready to get it rolling? Uh, you know, I think that's something certainly to watch for. And um, you know, the, those those are the main talking points that, that I have about it. I'm anxious to see if we'll see Demarcus Beasley one last time. He hasn't played a whole lot this year, seven games, but you know, one of the one of the great names of the sport uh, in our country is is about to step aside from his professional career. And so does he, does he get back out there in front of the fans of Dallas one more time? That would be, that would be kind of neat if he did. Don't know, uh, you know what it would mean as it relates to the game, but, but it would be neat to see him out there. And, of course, um, look, you know, one thing, we know that, that if he's out there, that a minor figure role plays. And if he does play, by the way, it would be his 100th league match since he came into MLS five years ago, is that he can take a lot of players out of a defense with that long diagonal. He hits very, very well. Uh, I would think FC Dallas, knowing him, would have that scouted out. But I do think that that's uh, a dangerous aspect to consider when you're when you're thinking about uh, tactics defensively against Houston. Is you know obviously you got talent up front, but uh, you know uh, Figueroa can do some things as we saw in his time here that can that sometimes can can put your defense in a real negative place because of his ability to hit the long diagonal. One oh. piece of subtext will be uh, Christian Ramirez, who many FC Dallas fans would have liked to have seen this club try and yeah. play for as a late season addition. And he went to Houston. So uh, just something else to watch for. $250,000 was that, uh, was that deal. And it's, I don't, it's 175, I think of GAM and 75 of TAM. Although I could have that. It might be the other way around, but, but uh, yeah, that's the, that's the breakdown of the trade. And they also just acquired Nico Hansen in a trade with uh, Columbus Crew as well. And I think that they made one other player addition of, of note the other day as well. I think they, they acquired one other player through trade that might be uh, that might be part of the make. Or you know what? They didn't trade for him, but they just signed a guy named uh, uh, Jose Bizama, who had played and has had a, a, a cup of coffee a couple of times with Chile at the uh, – at the uh, international level for the Chilean national team, and he's played there professionally for for five years now. So they've added a defender that uh, just came over from Chile that has played in one game against Philadelphia so far as well. With Houston coming to town this weekend, I want to shift the conversation a little bit. The Houston Chronicle uh, in the last week has posted two stories that I thought were really fascinating from an outsider's perspective. Uh, One was an opinion piece, just basically kind of uh, uh, running back over the woes the Dynamo have had in uh, recent years in terms of attendance. And then there was a follow-up piece that I thought was fascinating because it included a bunch of feedback the writer had gotten from uh, Dynamo fans, season ticket holders, etc. And I, 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 not that I was surprised by this, I did find it fascinating that you could have almost taken any of the complaints about the Dynamo and crossed out the word Dynamo and written in FC Dallas, and you would have, it was almost word for word, things that people complain about FC Dallas are complaining about the Houston Dynamo. And I wondered if either one of you read those articles and had any similar reaction to it i did read them and i actually had the exact same reaction you did which it sounds exactly like the problems we have in dallas minus the uh frisco's far away part um you know i two two teams that have not been able to get any ground to get any relevancy in their markets 
you know, for whatever reason, they don't appeal to the soccer bases in their towns. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I have any solutions overnight or else I might be running things and I'm not. So, I, you know, certainly they're both teams that should do better than they do in terms of uh, making traction and getting people to pay attention to them and their given markets. And I saw Buzz say that on Twitter and I tried to, to, to I clicked on the link for that article to look for the fan reaction, but I guess maybe maybe it took me to the original article and not the article with the fan reaction, so I can't really offer any comments on that. But but uh, the the fertility of the soccer market in both cities, you know, I, I would agree wholeheartedly is that the team should be doing better than they are, and and I don't know what the solutions are. Short of you know, I, I do feel like when we saw the team win. At a high level, uh, I think back to, to the great crowd there was for the Open Cup final when FC Dallas played New England in 2016, and, and you know some of the energy that was around the team when they won, when they pushed and won Supporter Shield in 2016 as well. So, uh, you know, you would like to think that winning solves a lot of those problems, um, and, and maybe if there's there's winning at a high level moving forward, then then and, and it's more than just part of a season or. Uh, a short stretch, but it's really something that you can build on. Then, then you know, hopefully, hopefully that will happen from the FC Dallas perspective. Yeah, I think what's interesting in the comments from the Houston fans uh, is an element that doesn't really have anything to do with winning. Because remember, Houston's won MLS Cup a couple of times since being in Houston. They've won uh, Supporter Shield, uh, U.S. Open. Yeah. I mean, that's a winning organization, uh, at least in terms of uh, silverware. Uh, what what really struck me as similar was the comments about community and, and fan connection and engaging the fan base and making the fans feel engaged with the club and game day experiences. Obviously, Houston has a stadium situation uh, in terms of location that, you know, uh, people would kill for here in Dallas. I mean, it's essentially sits in their version of uh, ge- geographically is Deep Ellumwood uh, if you put a stadium uh, in the Dallas area. So I, I thought all of that was super fascinating. And, and it leads me into this next part of the conversation, uh, which was the article that appeared in The Athletic yesterday, I think it was, Sam Sketchstall. I can never pronounce Sam's last name. Mark, you're the, you're the name of pronunciator. I don't know if you know how to pronounce his last name. <laughs> That's one I don't. Okay. That is one I, Fair I, enough. I, it might be Sketchstall, but I'm not. Okay, oh, I'm sorry, Buzz. I'm just going with Sketchel. Sketchel. Okay, well, that's how I okay. say it. Sam interviewed Dan Hunt, and it's a, essentially an article talking about you know the FC Dallas business model of homegrowns and growing their own, and this, that, and the other. And you know the takeaway comment from Dan for me that I thought really just perfectly summed up uh, maybe people's frustrations with how the team is run was the quote of. Quote, I think we're fine doing it just like this. And what he means by that, and and there's a larger paragraph that goes along with that in the context, was uh, we believe in the business model of trying to win MLS Cup using our homegrowns. And, you know, I I read that article literally about an hour before I watched Carlos Vela score that insane goal last night for LAFC. And I thought, man, those are two clubs 
uh, working in very, very different mentalities. And I've always, you know, Mark, you and I have never talked about this. Um, you, you arrive into this in terms of a professional broadcaster that gets to see all sorts of professional sports teams, uh, not just in soccer, but in basketball, not just based in the United States, but globally. And you, and I don't think, and if I'm wrong about this, Mark, please correct me. I don't think you come weighted down with the perspective of somebody who's been watching this club since the Cotton Bowl days, at least at a very, very, you know, uh, at, at, a, at a, a media person's kind of like in day in and day out level. And I just wonder your perspective about how uh, the Hunts, Dan and Clark run the team and versus and how that you feel that operates compared to the LAFCs, the Atlanta Uniteds and the Seattles of MLS. Well, yeah, my Cotton Bowl days were uh, doing PA. So I did uh, PA from 1998 to 2004. So not the uh, Victor Villalba, the great Spanish voice of the Cowboys and the Mavericks. You was did. A bilingual PA announcer in 96 and 97 and I 98. I failed to remember that. I apologize, yeah. Mark. You were uh, the Cotton Bowl PA guy. I forgot about uh, that, that. That's quite all right. I feel like I, that if nothing else, I started the concept of uh, get real over the top with how you announced the starting eleven. And start. Uh, <laughs> and one, one of my one of my favorite memories of that is at the old mill. You guys went to the old mill in. Hell yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. And Got Bobby Ryan. The Dave. first time I met Bobby, he said, uh, and somebody said, yeah, he started doing the PA a few games ago. And Bobby's like, oh man, you're the guy who's like really announcing the starting lineups real crazy. It's like, yeah, that's me. And he goes, no man, the players notice it on the field. We dig it. Thank you. And that uh, you know shows what kind of guy Bobby is, and, and meant a lot to me that he said that. And that's one of the most endearing memories and stories that I have and I'll, I'll never forget that 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 goes back now plus 20 plus years and and uh he said that to, to little old Mark Folliwell well maybe really you are then weighted that. down with the perspective of all of watching this from day one and maybe my question is moot at this point but I am fascinated from your your professional perspective of watching the Mavericks and all these other massive NBA teams and then all of your experience with Fox soccer uh both on a on an international and club level just any kind of additional insight and perspective you might have would be interesting I think to most people my number one perspective is, as the years have gone by, Peter, I have tried to disassociate myself as much as I can with getting too wrapped up in the decisions that are made by Mark Cuban and Donnie Nelson or Dan and Clark or when Fernando was the technical director or whomever, you know, in terms of player acquisition. My job is to take the product that they're putting together and make it sound and look and describe it in as an appealing fashion as I possibly can. And that's been, you know, especially as the years have gone by and, uh, you know, you, you can you can let your mind get caught up in a lot of things if you allow it, given a lot of the voices that are out there and a lot of the, you know, quite frankly, what can be sometimes negative influences if you spend too much time reading what people have to say about social on social media. Social media doesn't sure. necessarily lend itself to the measured positive long-range viewpoint of things it's obviously very reactionary and and quite frankly a lot of times it's very negative um you know as far as the idea of winning mls cup with 11 homegrowns uh you know the one thing i would say is this is i think that one thing i feel like i've noticed when it comes to uh, experience of mine in pro sports is that whatever your plan or your system is i guess there needs to be commitment to it um, you know, uh, there have been money ball ways that have won in other sports. There have been big spending ways that have won. 
there have been youth movement ways and drafting well and building your team that way. And our sport that we're discussing here, I mean, I guess on the world stage, uh, Ajax, obviously, and the, and the Dutch area, Devise, probably comes to mind as the club that can build up young players through its academy, get them to play well enough where they can be a factor in their domestic league and quite obviously be a factor in continental competition, as we know, over the last uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, and it's just a, a memorable, memorable run in Champions League that uh, disappointingly came to an end around too soon last year from from their perspective. But but, you know, you've got to be committed to that plan. Um, and, and I think that when it comes to FC Dallas, uh, you know, the one thing about winning it with 11 homegrowns is I think we know that really at the end of the day that probably there's there's a desire to do that. But the fact that they are active in the marketplace uh, internationally. Uh, you know, the fact that they have made some pretty savvy signings when they've gone to try to mine talent out of South America, but also have had some big swings and misses are indicative of the fact that I don't think that that door will ever be closed off for FC Dallas. There's, there's uh, you know, player personnel connections and, and enough that that's always going to be some level of conduit. And it worked with Mauro Diaz and it's worked pretty darn well with Michael Barrios. And then, of course, as we know, there's been uh, some spectacular flameouts in that regard as well. Um, so, so that's the perspective I have on it. Is uh, you know, number one, I try to not get too wrapped up in that. But I think my best advice for any team that's putting together any sort of plan in terms of how we're going to put the team together is commitment to a system. Uh, you know, says a lot in terms of you know uh, of what you're going to do. And so, the one thing I would say about this year is. This, this idea of homegrowns, I think that, that that has been spoken about in glowing terms here in the past, but the commitment to it wasn't there in terms of how that manifested itself with a lot of players on the field. Some some got out there, Kellen and Victor and Jesse, but you know we've all been waiting for uh, you know Paxton in particular and and other homegrowns to get their opportunity uh, in the last couple of years and and. You know, Oscar uh, gave some of them a chance and others didn't. And this year, as we now know, four or five homegrowns routinely start every game. And so I, I suppose that's commitment to a system. And we'll see uh, what that means for improving those players in a position to make them good enough to be competing on not just barely squeaking into the postseason, but maybe competing on a higher level next year. Augmented, of course, with the right outside talent. Because I think we all understand that that they're still not at a place where you're winning MLS Cup anytime soon with 11 homegrowns out of this academy. It has to be augmented with smart signings from from elsewhere. Yeah, and and Buzz will will and we'll kind of wrap this up here in a second about talking about the run into the end of the season and and, and the playoffs. But I I do think it's interesting to take a second to recognize the fact that uh, in Montreal. Uh, and, and a game that Lucci really wanted to at least get something out of, he took a kid off the field. He had another kid on the bench in Pepe that he could have put on at the beginning of the second half. Uh, but instead, what he chose to do was to turn towards, quote unquote, veterans. Um, and I think it's probably not unfair to say uh, that is for all the dreaming we have about having 11 homegrowns on the field and, you know, older teenagers and young 20 somethings from the various DFW uh, Metroplex uh, high schools. uh, The reality is for this team really to be competitive at this point, they are still going to need to lean on these guys that they bring in and they got to be smarter about the types of players they bring in. Yeah, I think there's no question. You can't miss on your foreign signings uh, at this phase of this program that Dallas is in. You know, you you have to have 
Uh, Dallas is always going to be budgetary conscious in terms of their signings. You can't miss on them because then you're left with a whole bunch of kids and no veteran options because, as you say, coaches always go to the uh, veteran players when things get tight. That's just how it goes. You don't play the 16-year-old kid. You play the 26-year-old guy. You know. Now, will FC Dallas reach a stage where Paxton and Jesus are the 26- and 27-year-old guys? I don't know. That's going to take some commitment from the organization. And and one of the takeaways from Schedule's article was that they're in negotiation with those two guys to keep them. That's great. Um, but you know, I, that's the story of this season. And we've talked, we've talked about it all year. Is that I expected them to get a little bit of a boost from a couple of their signings uh, that they made over the winter and the summer, and that did not happen. So this team is where it is. This team is young. Uh, and, and without having those guys have been a success, that's why you're in the middle of the pack and fighting for a playoff spot instead of being at the top of the Western Conference. Uh, now, granted, you're not going to be LAFC good. Uh, not right now. Not without spending that kind of money. So, um, you know, it is what it is. And, and we're, we're, the, the cards are dealt for this season. So now it's a question of trying to figure out how to best arrange this limited hand you have and see if you can win some games and get in. All right. So now I, we- you, I think Lucci's done a nice job, Buzz, and. He has developed more pragmatism in terms of his decisions as the year has gone on. And Lucci's the first person. I mean, I've talked to him at training. And he says, hey, I've, I've learned things this year and, and things that I thought were a good idea. Sometimes I realize, you know, sometimes I have to do some things differently. Um, but, but I think Lucci still has a pretty good balance this year of pragmatism to win games, but still staying committed to the project of we are going to give young homegrown players opportunities here and they're going to get significant opportunities and one moment of failure does not mean that the plug is going to be pulled on them agree or disagree yeah it's a big project i I was nodding as you were talking you probably couldn't see it um you know yeah there is this season all along has been the first season under a new coach he's reviewing he's learning he's reviewing the team they're trying a new concept evaluating that new concept how's it going so this season was never really about this season they didn't go into this season thinking we're going to win a cup that's not this wasn't a i mean you try and win don't get me wrong but no i don't think anybody would have been honest with themselves and said oh yeah this is the year no this was an evaluation it's a new thing uh you know and he has been he has worked a pretty good balance he does talk all the time about we learn something we learn from this we learn from that on the field off the field everything they do they evaluate they self-evaluate really well so um you know there's a lot of positivities about the direction they're going you know the big question remains you know can, are the hunts committed enough to retain these kids to give them a chance over the next three or four seasons to become a really top end team or not because that's different than just playing them and selling them you know that's a different level of commitment and we're gonna see mm-hmm. all right i do think that that if you get a chance to talk to lucci sometime and i know you do buzz and I know you do peter i mean and get him get him going on the playoff race i think i asked him one time how you maintain the balance between uh talking about a project but obviously talking about the the importance of three points on a week-to-week basis and he says you know look it's all in the messaging i mean we're we're doing big picture evaluation but when we get into the room, we're not talking to players and talking about, you know, uh, we're not filling their head all the time about big picture evaluation. You know, we're in there talking about, guys, we have to get three points tomorrow. Guys, we have to get in the playoffs. We have to get in the playoffs. We, I mean, and, and there's usually, uh, you know, Lucci's a fiery guy, so sometimes there's some, some good, uh, some colorful wording that goes along with that. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to talk to him, and it's fun to see that, you know, he has a passion for the project, 
and the big picture, but he also has a passion for competing and winning and getting results on a week-to-week basis this year. And, and I love talking to him and love seeing that side of him when he, when he discusses that kind of stuff. All right, so we move into Sunday, uh, the big game as we were talking about earlier. And, uh, you know, I, I still am a believer that the team is going to miss the playoffs. Although once I started digging into the actual schedules uh, and the numbers, I started to feel a little bit more hopeful in this. Uh, so with the games remaining, Dallas only plays one team with a winning record, and that would be NYCFC when they, that they get to play at home. Uh, everybody else is struggling. In fact, three of the teams have 500 records, three of the teams have losing records, and of the remaining teams, Dallas has actually beaten all of them with the exception of Houston, who they lost to, and they get their opportunity uh, to exact some revenge. They're 3-4-3 three, and three in their last uh, 10 games with a, a, an absolute, uh, uh, well, the, the goal differential is zero, and they have, that's the one little bugaboo in this, is they've been shut out for the their last seven games but they've scored eight times in their last three and as you go through and kind of dig through the other teams that are around them in the standings minnesota the galaxy uh, salt lake seattle san jose portland houston and real and um what's the last one i'm I've, oh salt lake excuse me uh kansas city uh dallas actually has one of the easier schedules and now that's just based on points per average and uh and and home and away but of if you're just going to base basic solely on points per game dallas has the fourth easiest schedule portland has the easiest along with having almost all home games remaining. They've only got one yeah. road game left. Portland plays eight of their last nine at home, right? Yeah, and then the second easiest schedule is LAFC, who you just don't count because they don't have to play themselves, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is really They're not going to drop back into any sort of competition about not missing or about not making a playoff. Yeah, yeah, so the team that you really want to watch out for, because it's only going to take one team to push Dallas out, appears to be Salt Lake, who have a slightly easier schedule. Uh, they've got a game in hand on Dallas, um, and they've uh, got a, got a you know, uh, it'll be interesting. I, that may be the team to really watch Dallas have to uh, run through. They don't face each other again through the course of the season. Well, look, the the... the, the... <laughs> The hardest schedules to me are San Jose, although they did, you know, you know, now the LAFC thing is behind them. Uh, it will be very interesting to see what happens with Matias Almeida. Does he face? Uh, do you guys think he? Have you heard anything? Is he? Is he getting suspended for last night's outburst? Do you think he's facing a one or two match touchline suspension for what went down last night? What do you think? I, I have not heard yet. Yeah, heard the, the committee will come out in the next couple of days, I'm sure. But um, I, I imagine he might get a game or two. Yeah, it's pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah, so so I think uh, you know that that's certainly a uh, that's a hurdle for them. Did he write um, a slur on the piece of paper and actually hand it to the referee though? Did he do that? Uh, that's a <laughs> that part I reference. don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Oh yeah, Peggy reference. Yeah, that part. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, he handed Caleb Porter a tissue. Uh, Minnesota's <laughs> got to play LAFC twice. They've got to play. I think they've got to play Atlanta United. Uh, and not just talking about the Open Cup final. They've got to play them in a regular season game. They've got to play Portland. They've got to play Real Salt Lake. So Minnesota, you know, has a conceivable – if things don't go well for them, I mean, they may get seven or eight points the rest of the year uh, if they're not able to go out and get some results on the road, uh, you know, or, or they trip up against good teams at home. Uh, you know, they, they could be staring down a seven or eight point run in for the rest of the season. And, and San Jose might be staring at a nine or ten point run in, you know, 
12-point run-in for the rest of the season, which would put them up at 50 points, and that's that's an attainable number for FC Dallas. And the other thing, too, I, I don't think I heard you mention, Peter, FC Dallas playing Seattle. Seattle uh, doesn't have, like, a, a, a total bearer of a schedule for the rest of the way, but you do go up there and play them, which isn't the most enticing of prospects. But number one, <laughs> Seattle hasn't not. been. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seattle hasn't been as good since Chad Marshall. And at least the one thing you would say is that you control your situation relative to a, one of the teams in front of you when you go play them, because then that's a six-pointer. So uh, that's a that's a big ask to go up there in a midweek game after you played at Chicago on September 14th. I believe they play at Seattle then on Wednesday night, September the 18th. That's a big ask, but that is a game to circle on your calendar. Um, you know, in terms of FC Dallas can really help themselves in terms of playoff fortunes. And then right after that, by the way, they got to come home and play one of their other really, really hard games left in terms of NYCFC. But, yeah, but I think yeah. both of the two of you would agree. Uh, the bottom line is this. All of this discussion is a big waste of time if they don't get six points in the next two games. I, I yeah. would totally agree. In fact, that's exactly what I was going to say is that the, the, the critical games in the remaining two are these next two home games because it's the two teams with the worst records uh, that they're going to face in Houston and specifically in Cincinnati. They're home games. One's a derby game, and you get to mm-hmm. uh, exact revenge for the loss earlier in the season. And obviously Cincinnati's just a, a you know a, a debutante team, and, and you need to get your three points against them. If they they do get the six points in these two games the run in after that suddenly starts to look a lot more clear again yeah. depending on how some other results turn out um, and you can take a breath too peter yeah and buzz, yeah and, and because you got because then you've got the international break and they won't play again until the 14th so you'll have some time you know you guys are talking about paxton and who knows maybe he gets called into the u.s team i don't know but but i mean i've seen some people speculate about that but, but you have at least theoretically some time for some young players who are playing way more than they ever have to catch their breath and rest a little bit, and you can manage some things to get them ready for the final, what would it be at that point? And it would be a final five-match push uh, where you're going to have a really, you know, you're going to have, you're going to come right out of it, and you're going to play three games in eight days. So, so you know, uh, yeah, these, these next two games, I mean, given the who the opponents are, where the games are being played, and what you have out in front of you, I mean, six points is is uh, an inarguable necessity out of yeah, minimum. coming down here. Oh, yeah, I think, no, both these games are winnable. I think Houston's a mess. You know, they got some talent, but with the coaching change, they're still trying to figure things out. You know, it's tough to play on the road in MLS everywhere. So yeah. coming into Dallas, I know that Houston's hot too, but coming into Dallas – uh, is not ever going to be easy since he on the road. I mean, you, that's a game. If you don't win that game, you don't deserve to be in the playoffs. Yep. You know, it, it may come down to the last game of the season when you're hosting Sporting Kansas City here in Frisco and San Jose has to go to Portland. You know, the, yep. that might be that those two yeah. games right there might for FC Dallas might be the answer. Are you getting in or not uh, when you get when you isn't, get down to uh, it? I think maybe isn't. Let me let me look here. I think Minnesota might be playing a pretty tough game. Yeah, Minnesota's at Seattle that weekend yeah. as well. And, and and maybe you guys feel a little bit more confident about Minnesota. But, okay, I've got their schedule now, by the way. So they're playing Sporting Kansas City tonight, uh, on the road, by the way, at LAFC, at Houston, home Real Salt Lake, at Portland, home Sporting KC, home LAFC, at Seattle. Two LAFCs, I mean, that's a tough that's schedule tough. for Minnesota, yeah. man. Yeah, that's a, yeah. that's a tough schedule, dude. That is tough. I yeah. I, I look at San Jose's got to go three road games in a row: RSL, New York City FC, and Atlanta, three in yeah. a row, and then Philly back home, and then they get Seattle at home, and then they get Portland on the road. I mean, those six games 
are tough. You know, yes. that's that's like to, that's for me that that looks like the biggest potential collapsible team. Um, mm-hmm. But you make a case for Minnesota. I so that's a fair case too. Yeah, so but here's those the, are two but teams guys, to look so you, for. But you got a big I, gap on Minnesota. Though. Yeah, it's that's the points, problem. Right, There's Peter? a five point yeah. gap. That's the thing that I'm I'm thinking. You know, they can they have a lot of room to stumble, including you're a right. game in hand. Um, and you're right, they've got the most difficult schedule. But that that fact that they've uh, successfully gotten themselves to 42 points already um, uh, is. That's why I'm, I'm. I don't think they're the team that bombs out of this. If anybody does, um, it's going to be a, a Salt Lake or uh, hopefully a, an Earthquakes. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah, man. I feel like that uh, if RSL has survived what they've survived, I think they're going to be okay. Yeah, they've I, had I, a pretty interesting yeah. season for sure. They, they especially the last few weeks, obviously, and they've not only survived it. I mean, quite honestly, they're thriving in the face of a lot of adversity lately. I mean, they came here three hours after Petke got suspended. And I thought they played a pretty, pretty darn, darn sound tactical match that night, and uh, they've gotten results at home since then. And yeah, they've they, they've been they've been more than solid in my book. Um, you know, and you know, you know the other thing too about this weekend is, man, you know, one little bugaboo they've had against Houston in recent Derby games is last year. Remember, uh, 89th minute equalizer to uh, Pena, the Venezuelan player for Houston. When they played one of those uh, one of those games last year that ended up one one, um, or maybe that was even maybe that was in 2017. Maybe that was the, the year that they did that. But there was there's one game recently where they gave up an 89th minute equalizer down there, and then they they had a three one lead in a game in August of 2017 here and gave up two goals uh, in the last 20 minutes, including another 89th minute. Cuba Torres, as a matter of fact, Eric Torres is the player who scored those two goals, and and one of them was in 89th minute. So. Uh, you know, if you do get a lead against Houston, whatever, however much of a mess you think that they are, Buzz, man, you've got to play that one. That is yeah. going to require 90 minutes of focus and no switching off because yeah. I think there's enough attacking talent out there that, that could hurt you if you get into protecting a one-goal situation at the end. Yeah, and that's why Lucci said the most important aspect of the stretch run for this team is going to be mentality, getting your mind right, focus, you know, having the right attitude was going to be key because if they if – they, or get their brain where it needs to be and are on the front foot and are aggressive, then they're fine. If they, they sit back and play passive, they're going to get, they'll be out inside of as soon as they lose this Houston game. Yep. Yep. You well, know what, Peter? Yes, sir. Soccer is a talking sport. Did you know that? I did know that. <laughs> you, we, we have talked for an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, this is not the first time I've commandeered somebody's podcast like this. This is a talking sport, dude. It most certainly is, and you're good at it, and that's why we were honored that you would take time from your uh, illustrious broadcasting career of the highest level uh, and uh, come down here to the low grounds of podcasting with Buzz and I. I love effing soccer, and I love to talk about it. And (laughs) and I didn't know uh, what we're allowed to say on this podcast. My normal normal thing would be I would have said it – uh, more colorfully in that particular place, but uh, out of uh, out of discretion, I, I edited myself there. Buzz I love talking about it, and it's a lot of fun to discuss, and I, I've really enjoyed chopping it up with you guys for the last 80 minutes. 
Yeah, well, Buzz has boobies all the time, so don't worry about it, Mark. Do oh, I? man, wow. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> How are we ever going to, re- to recover from that? <laughs> well, Mark, it's like a Biddy Hill show. Uh, uh, I've told oh, you in goodness. person, and I've said it. Uh, I've said it to your face. I've said it uh, away from your face. I love your work. I enjoy the fact that you get to do the FC Dallas games. I love watching you do the Mavericks. I'm a huge fan of yours, and uh, thank you for coming to do this. Anytime, man. You guys reach out anytime. I love doing it, and it was a lot of fun to chat. Hopefully, we'll have uh, maybe we'll have an end of season uh, playoff preview show we can do or something like that. We should. So that would be, that would be real, real nice. And uh, Andy and I would love to have you on the kick around again sometime soon. Anytime, anytime. All right, you got it, man. And Buzz, good to talk to you as well, man. A lot of fun, and, and glad we got to. Uh, break it down man it's a good time yes it was a pleasure all right awesome all right thanks mark thanks buzz and thank you good fc dallas fan we will speak to you next time on another edition of third degree the podcast